0: Ramble.
1: In the summer, I get DoorDash almost every single day because it's just so convenient. I don't really need to spend hours of my day grocery shopping and then cooking in 100 degree humid weather. I want to be outside and I want to read a book by the pool, but I also don't want to break the bank and takeout can add up real quick. That's why every summer I sign up for the Dash Pass. Starting now until July 24th, you can get insane deals on DoorDash if you have the Dash Pass. The Dash Pass gives you access to exclusive items and discounts at your favorite restaurants, grocery stores, and even retail shops. I use the Dash Pass almost every day to order from my favorite smoothie place. There's nothing better than a cold, refreshing drink by the pool on a summer day. With the Dash Pass, you can get access to member-only deals on hot wings to ice cream and everything in between now through July 24th. Get the best deal and exclusive items from your favorite brands like Taco Bell, Popeyes, and Ulta Beauty. Sign up for Dash Pass now if you aren't already a member and enjoy a summer full of savings. Dash Pass benefits apply only to eligible orders. Terms apply. I'm a very dramatic person, so I'm gonna try really hard not to get dramatic and not to cry during this part. I just want to clear something up. So, uh, maybe about a month ago, I did a podcast titled "The Chessboard Killer," where I talked about a man who was very, very adamant in killing 64 different people for each square on the chessboard. And prior to that, I kind of was like, you know, when I like to do these stories, I start with these small stories, and I like to kind of tie it all into like the underlying theme. And the whole theme of that podcast was chess and people who are obsessed with chess especially with you know the netflix's queen's gambit that is getting a lot of mainstream attention i talked about a man by the name of alan turing very briefly and he was an english mathematician computer scientist logician cryptanalyst, philosopher and a theoretical biologist he is a, a genius man when i was researching the case uh, I'm so upset about this. I found that he was arrested for gross indecency. I think there was three different articles that I read that... This is all my fault, by the way, not the articles. That failed to mention that when they said gross indecency, which was the actual term that he was arrested for, that in the 50s in the UK, homosexuality was considered gross indecency. I'm so upset by this. I had no idea that that's what he was arrested for. If anyone listened to that podcast and thought... Thought that maybe I knew and I was agreeing with the term that it was gross indecency. That was absolutely not the case at all. I mean, if you guys watch my YouTube channels or if you've been following me for a while, you know that that is definitely not not who I am. I really apologize for getting that mix up. I did take that part out of the Chessboard Killer podcast. It was a very brief segment, but even though I, sh- I should have gotten it right, so I'm really sorry. I do all of the research for the podcast myself, and I, I guess it just slipped through the cracks. There's really no excuse, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> okay, let's not get emotional. <laughs> So in order to have some lightness after that, <laughs> I want to talk about fast food today because I am an American citizen born and raised. So I feel like I can say this about Americans. No, I can't, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's about two things in this world that make Americans go crazy. And I think those two things are fast food and Black Friday. You hear all of those stories about people getting just trampled during Black Friday for a television that nobody really needs. It's just something about the day brings out this primal aspect in us and we just go a little bit crazy. Same with fast food. We have an insane obsession with fast food, myself included. And so I really wanted to cover a lot of crimes that happen in fast food restaurants. So the main beef of the story today is going to be about the McDonald's killer. And this I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit, but because it is a really intense, a really dark and very, very just upsetting and sad podcast, I wanted to start with some lighter stories to just kind of lighten up the mood. So this takes place in Shawnee, Oklahoma at a Sonic. Police get a call and they said, hey, the local Sonic is getting burglarized. The alarms are going off. We need to go. We need to go see what's going on. Now, the police, they skirt skirt, they drive all the way over there and they're expecting to see like a regular fast food burglary. I mean, probably a window is shattered, probably someone trying to enter the cash registers, the safe in the back. And so they arrive at the Sonic. They see that there's broken glass everywhere. There's also a little bit of blood on the broken glass. So they're like, okay, maybe the burglar had tried to, you know, shatter this glass and ended up cutting himself. And now that's the burglar's blood. So by the time that they get in to the Sonic, the police realize, wait a second, do you hear that? And they see that there is a man still inside of the restaurant. And now they know that this is not the manager. This is not another police officer. This is the freaking burglar. Burglar. So they immediately rush to the burglar, being like, hey, catch that dude. And they're running after him. The burglar looks behind him and is like, Oh my gosh, I've got to make a run for it. So he starts running out of the restaurant. Now this is going to ensue a high-speed foot chase. Like 0.8
0: miles an hour.
1: a 13 mile foot chase mm-hmm. Jerry Brudos is jizzing in his grave right now I say 13 miles because that's how long it takes me to run a mile now thankfully it doesn't last very long because it's about two blocks away where the suspect decides to stop now if you were burglarizing an entire restaurant where would you run to
0: the um Black Friday Mall
1: <laughs> to get my TV <laughs> my Doorbuster sale yeah. TV from Walmart <laughs> the suspect runs straight to his own house which happened to be two blocks away from the sonic that he's burglarizing so he's like hello police welcome home like welcome to my house mi casa su casa and here's the crazy thing the police when they see that he had run into a house they're able to enter the house because the mans had left the front door wide open for them so they enter the house and they find him sitting in his bedroom with blood on his hands glass shattered on the soles of his feet eating sonic food so they're like, um, is
0: he pretending that he's
1: just kind of like chilling? And so, like, he's out of breath. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> that was a long two blocks. <laughs> and so they're just like, um, did you just burglarize the Sonic? And he's like, no, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I, I had this food at home. <laughs> I had this food at home. And he's like, where's the evidence? And the police, they're like, okay, well, we can give you one major piece of evidence, which is the fact that from that Sonic to this man's house uh-huh. was a two-block trail of Sonic food that had dropped out of his arms as he was on the high-speed foot chase. I'm talking foot-long hot dogs, hot dog buns, chicken breasts, corn dogs just dropped, leaving a trail.
0: Did he bur- burglarize for the money or the food?
1: The food. So he was actually a drunk 18-year-old man who was really hungry. Oh. I don't I don't think he took any money.
0: Oh, <laughs> I, man.
1: Yeah, and so <laughs> he was arrested. And thankfully, he got a really low... Well, I don't want to say thankfully, but he did get a really light sentence. I don't even think he got a sentence, really. But this seems like an advertisement for Sonic, honestly. Yeah. After I read this story, I was like, maybe I kind of want to try Sonic. From <laughs> what I read in one of the articles, I think that some of the food was like not even heated up and stuff, you know, like it was straight from the fridge. So he had dedication. He was like, I'm going to take it home and then I'm going to reheat it. And so the next story takes place in Bojangles, North Carolina. A man by the name of Jason Gross, which is kind of a fitting last name now in hindsight. He was driving a minivan through the Bojangles. And I mentioned minivan because minivan is like such a such a family friendly car. And what he's about to do is so not family friendly. And so he goes to the drive through of Bojangles and he orders the chicken leg dinner now the employee at the drive-thru is like wait a minute i'm so sorry sir like we just ran out of chicken legs i can't give you the chicken leg dinner would you like to look at anything else on the menu we've got so many different items that you could choose from to still have a nice dinner and he gets upset his um girlfriend who was also in the car she had ordered something so he goes to the window to get her food and he gets into an argument with the employee like how do you run out of chicken legs this is butjangles you should have endless supply of chicken legs and the employee is like listen i don't know what you want from me dude like i i just work here like pretty sure
0: that's not what they (laughs) said
1: yeah but he was just like how how do you not like you know and so he's like really trying to pick a fight with this employee and this employee is like literally i just work here like i don't know how to explain how we ran out of chicken legs and that is when the man decides to wiggle shimmy shimmy because he's in his car down his pants and scream at the employee here's a fucking leg for you and whips out his penis and starts dangling it around I And then drives off In the minivan In Korea um, There's what they call pabari men Which is literally Trench coat men And they go around In trench coats And they go to playgrounds And they go to places Where a lot of women are And they're completely naked Under the trench coat And they will literally Expose themselves To the women Just like Take off their trench coat Like open it wide And the expectation Is that people will scream So Mm. I remember that My mom had even told me That in Korea When there was like This huge influx Of pabari men People kept telling All of the women Don't scream Don't run Just like look at it and then look away because like, that's <laughs> you know you can't give them the reaction that they want so uh maybe he's one of those people and he was so dumb because he didn't realize that the drive-thru has cameras everywhere and it became local news in north carolina that he had to turn himself in to the police station at 1 in the morning But again, like the underlying tone is that people really love their food. People really love their fast food. There was a man in Minnesota who went to a pizza hut. The police got called because they were like, oh, my God, the pizza hut is getting burglarized in the middle of the night. We better rush on over there to catch these little thieves. They rush on over there. And that's when they're hit with this smell of just chicken wings. And they're like, but it's after hours. You know, I mean, there's no way that it's this strong of a smell. They go to the back into the kitchen and a dude named Corey is just frying up some boneless chicken wings. He's just trying to eat. He's Another one
0: of them. <laughs>
1: He's just oh, trying to eat. <laughs> okay, so today's podcast, we're getting into heat of it. Um, I'm probably not going to be as light as I am in a lot of other podcasts. I feel like I try to incorporate some humor and some lightness to these dark stories, but this one, it really did fork me up. I'm not going to lie. This is going to be the very first mass murder that I cover. I I don't plan on, like, covering a lot of mass murders. There's something about mass murders that make me just really distraught emotionally and it stays with me for days so with serial killers it's a little bit different because I feel like I mean yeah there are some people who do romanticize serial killers and like (laughs) there's someone TikTok who will literally be like oh look at this man he's kind of cute and I'm sure there's some aspects of true crime that play into that right but overall I would say with serial killers it's really about the stories of everybody involved and how they were caught and also like what can we take away from this and they also you know serial killers they kill to kill. I don't think they really care that much for notoriety. Uh, You would see that a lot of serial killers will start caring about fame and notoriety after they're caught. Mm. So, But they don't like try to get caught. Mm -hmm. You don't really see too many of them being like, I'm ready. Like, just catch me right now because I just want my name out there. You Mm -hmm. see a lot of them just try to stay hidden and then they're like, oh, well, I'm bored, so let's just get famous. But with mass murders, it seems like a lot of the times that is their initial intent for the murders is like go out with a bang get my name out there become almost like this romanticized evil villain in their own heads which honestly there's nothing cool about it so i don't know what's wrong with them So that's why I will not be sharing their names because that is kind of like the motive behind a lot of these murders. Today's shooter. We're going to call him Tim. I was going to call him Shooter, but that's just so intense for the whole podcast. So Mm -hmm. we're going to call him Tim. If you're interested in his name, it is out there. I don't think it really matters to the story, though. Tim is what's known as... the McDonald's killer he was responsible for the McDonald's massacre in San Ysidro San Diego California it lasted a whole 77 minutes 21 people were killed and 19 people were injured and that is not including the survivors when I say 19 people were injured I am talking about wounded went to the hospital I am not talking about survivors who were unharmed but mentally and emotionally traumatized so there was a lot of impact from this massacre. So I'm going to start with Tim's childhood because this is what I do with most serial killers, right? So Tim's childhood was very interesting. So he was one of two children that was born to a quality inspector and also to a stay-at-home wife. He was actually born in Canton, Ohio and the massacre ends up happening in California. So at three years old, Tim gets polio. So he would have to grow up wearing these like steel and leather braces on his legs. He had kind of a progressive recovery, which back in the day, that was really what you'd hope for. A lot of the times, polio would leave people just incapable of walking and doing normal day activities but he had a progressive recovery but here's the thing he would have a permanent walking difficulty for the rest of his life like he would have a little bit of a limp and you know I guess he was upset about that now both of his parents were super religious they were actually I believe they were um Baptist. So I know his mom was a strong Baptist and I believe his dad was too. But that's when his dad decides to buy a little plot of land in like the Pennsylvania Amish country. And now Mm -hmm. the mom, who is not Amish, she's getting really upset by this. She's like, oh, absolutely no way. She didn't even step foot onto the property. She refused. She was like, there's no way I'm going to live here. Like, it goes against my beliefs, which Mm -hmm. is a little odd because there's like nothing written there that says you can't live there from what I know, right? Mm -hmm. But um, she was just really upset about it. Now, I think Both parents are at fault because he purchased the land even when she said she's not going to live there. So Mm. they move on to the land. The mom, she refuses to live there. So she just deserts the family. She's like, you know what? I'm done then. Like, I'm gone. So she deserted the family. Tim gets deserted by his mom. And people said that this was kind of like the downfall of Tim. This is when he started becoming so heartbroken, so withdrawn from the community, from people, even his dad. His dad would say, hey, Tim, why don't you go to the chicken coop and go get me some eggs? and his dad would be like okay like why isn't he back it's been like 30 minutes the chicken coop is like right out back so then he would go to the chicken coop and he would see his little son crying bawling his eyes out eyes out Aww. slumped against the chicken coop just <laughs> sobbing i
0: thought he was out there like breaking chicken eggs i know <laughs> like, They're
1: like we're so used to serial killers he were like so he went out there and all the chickens were dead yeah <laughs> yeah and so that was kind of like his really sad upbringing now he decides to put all of this energy all of this pent-up sadness into a hobby now <laughs> he chooses such a a questionable hobby so his only childhood interest became target practice with real guns a lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions about this. I can't really say anything. I just know that if I have a kid, I wouldn't let them practice with guns. And so he starts practicing with guns and his neighbor actually called him, and I quote, a queer little boy who practiced incessantly with a target pistol. Now he becomes a teenager and a lot of people at this time considered him an amateur gunsmith, but also at the same time, he was incredibly reckless. Like if you're going to be considered a gunsmith, that means you know so much about guns. You're really good at them. You're proficient. But he would do these things randomly where he would go out and he would shoot at rocks. If you don't know, shooting at rocks, the bullets can actually bounce back and shoot you. So if you shoot at something where the bullet ricochets, you could get shot. So no one's going to do that. But he was doing that. So it seemed like maybe he didn't have too much care for his own life. I'm not really sure. Maybe he was a thrill seeker. It's just a little odd. People had noted that's so weird, especially because, you know, you know, dang well that Tim knows he shouldn't be doing that because Tim is proficient with guns. Now, Mm -hmm. throughout high school, he was completely bullied. They said that he was a super average. Like, (laughs) I feel like that's so mean
0: super average they
1: said like it's he was as average as average gets um he graduated 51st out of 77 students so they said that in terms of schooling he was average education he was average in terms of personality he was average like that was like the one word everyone gave him just like loves guns but is pretty much average at everything right i'm like that's me, not the loves guns, but like average. <laughs> and people said that he exhibited a lot of like antisocial behavior. He came from a super religious family. And so he was frequently targeted by bullies. Bullies were like, let's just freaking do it. Like, let's just make fun of him. He's a weirdo. Now, his dad ends up remarrying, and he does not have a good relationship with his stepmom. So Tim and his stepmom do not get along. They also have step-siblings that he didn't get along with. So this is what he would do when he would come home from school. I don't know how he was allowed to take a gun to school, but he did. When he would come home from school, he would get onto the property, which is a farm, and he would fire his gun 10 to 12 times to alert the family he was home. Like, before he walked what into the in house. To so be like, ba I'm home, bitch. Yeah, because he just hated his family. So he's like, Ba 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 like this is your warning, like stay away from me. Like I'm home. I don't know if his dad either didn't care, didn't or tried and failed, or was I mean, I'd be scared of him. That's
0: insane. You know,
1: so I don't know. So he grows up to go to community college. He gets a degree in sociology, and then this is where it gets weird. He ends up going to mortuary school and he gets a degree in embalming, which is the process of preserving a body for burial. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, making sure that they're not decomposing if you have an open casket and all of these things which by the way like mortuary school I'm kind of intrigued I don't know what it is I always I have this like random inkling of like what if I worked in a morgue one day there's just so much to it that's just so did you know that they have to like pin your eyelids down and they have to like sew your jaw closed and stuff because you know, you don't want to be in an open casket and then suddenly your grandpa is just like opening his mouth. 2020 sucked. I can say it, okay? Like, we are blessed to be healthy and not sick, but 2020 did suck. And it's almost the new year, which means you got to get all new everything. And the most important thing is new year. Everyone's like, new goals? No, new balls. (laughs) I'm talking about Manscaped. If you don't know, Manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming, offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And they help over 2 million men all over the world get rid of their hair on their balls. It doesn't sound important, okay? But it really is. So if you've got a man in your life, this might be the best holiday present. Or if you are a man listening to this, you're going to thank me later. So my fiance let himself go during quarantine. And I was like, whoa, you're getting really hairy, dude. And so he decided to. To shave his head both of his heads the manscaped has the perfect package 3.0 that has all the right tools for the job they've got something called the lawnmower 3.0 which sounds really intense and it's so cool so it's waterproof and they have a skin safe trimmer which reduces nicks to your two best friends because you don't want to hurt yourself the third generation trimmer even has a light to give you the glow up you need in 2021 the crop preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer okay yes you do need skincare for the balls (laughs) You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Yes, I said it. The smelliest part of your body. And for on-the-go freshness, you'll love their Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. (laughs) Okay, we've used all these products. That's why we're giggling a little bit. 2020 was awful. Make sure your boys are refreshed and ready for new beginnings in 2021. They'll even throw in their shed travel bag to keep all of your goodies stored comfortably. Your balls will thank you and they will thank me me just don't send me pics get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code rotten at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code rotten so he goes to mortuary school and that's where he meets his new wife that we're gonna call tim's wife tina that's not her name we're just gonna call her tina and he meets tina they end up getting married and they have two daughters together and i'm not gonna release their names okay so this is our new family tree we've got tim we've got tina the two parents and the two daughters so at this point in tim's life he gets a job as an undertaker at a funeral home and he was making good money so i calculated with inflation in 2020 and he was probably making around 140 thousand dollars a year he was making good money he was prepping bodies he was arranging memorial services and it all sounds like this really dark crazy like horror movie like what you do in a morgue what i do in a morgue type of day vlog Mm -hmm. but a lot of the times an undertaker has a very boring jobs so they have to do like contacting insurances for the families they have to advise families on how to go with like employment taxes now that um they're not employed And their family members Are like dead Because there's a lot Of paperwork And a lot of technical stuff That comes with the death You know It's not just Mm -hmm. This is really sad We're just grieving And now what It's like okay Like this is what You'd have to do For life insurance This is what You'd have to do On how you would Put this in your tax forms Like you know It's kind of complicated Like there's a lot Of different paperwork That has to be used So that's kind of What he was doing The majority of his day And this revolves around Dealing with people Dealing with people Who just lost Their loved ones And he was really good at embalming people but he was really bad with people that were alive like he just like couldn't he would constantly have problems at work because he didn't get along with any of the grieving families and he would just make them more sad and their grief worse and he would get very impatient with them he would get frustrated with them sometimes he would pick fights with them and his boss was like listen what the fork is going on like this is your job what are you doing you got to be sensitive to these people yeah. and so he was on the verge of losing his job and that's when his house set ablaze his house just like burned to the ground. And so he moves his family back to Canton, Ohio with his family and he became a welder and he had a lot of different positions um, when he was in Canton, Ohio and his family life was just going down. Like Tim, Tim had a lot of issues and both of the parents seemed to be, a little complex towards the children so apparently Tina the wife had a birthday party for the neighbor's kid and it's kind of confusing because Tim had a very similar situation where Tim also encouraged one of his daughters to go beat up a girl from school he was like just go beat her up go beat her this is how you're gonna punch her and like gave her all the lowdown on how to beat people up Mm -hmm. and then and then when the other kid's dad came up to him and was like hey Tim uh, your daughter beat up my daughter he was like yeah and I'll beat your ass too like
0: (laughs) aren't these videos? on tiktok too yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) like the povs but like it doesn't happen in real life you know like usually in real life it's like oh shit tim had situations like that but also tina apparently did too so at a birthday party for the neighbor's kid tina had apparently told one of her daughters to beat up the classmate and instructed her how to do it as well and then tina ended up getting into a fight with the kid's mom And she pulled out a pistol and she shoved it in that mom's face. And that mom was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so the wow. police come, they arrest Tina, but they never took away her pistol. Now, I'm assuming that it was a licensed gun and it was under her name or under, you know, Tim's name because otherwise they should have confiscated it. I mean, I really yeah. think they should have confiscated it regardless, even if it was a licensed weapon, because um if you've got the temperament to just like pull it out during a birthday party at another kid's mom, you probably shouldn't have that in your arsenal of things. Anyways. So he would also have a lot of guard dogs. Tim and Tina, they had hella German shepherds. And one of the German shepherds ended up, um, Going to a neighbor's house and just kind of like damaging their car a little bit. I don't know if they had tried to like scratch at the car. I don't know what they did. But apparently Tim just like went out into the backyard and shot their German shepherd in the head. So that he didn't have to deal with that problem. Yeah. And then one time another neighbor who I believe they had a poodle. And it had pooped on his lawn. And he threatened to kill that dog. To the neighbors. They were like your dog comes anywhere near my property again and I'll shoot it. And people were like, what?
0: Scary people.
1: Scary people. We actually recently had a neighborhood issue where someone was like putting out like, I think it was like a dryer beads or something on their lawn because dogs would come and poop. So they wanted the dog to like eat the dryer beads and die. That's what, what? People speculated on like our little neighborhood app. <laughs> I don't know. That was the speculation around What's this dryer. Bead? Like the tiny little, um, you put them in your laundry to make it extra smell good. It's literally like fragrance balls. So oh they sp- want
0: the dog to eat it to get poisoned and die.
1: Yeah, and so that like this apparently oh, this man. house was known for always complaining on the app about how dogs just poop on their lawn and nobody picks it up. And then randomly there was like substances left on their lawn. And people were like, what? He ends up just shooting his pet in the head and just calls it a day. And there was also a lot of domestic violence in the house. So Tim was always violent towards Tina. And to calm Tim down when he would get violent, like he would have these phases where he would be extra violent. Like Tina would know that, oh my God, like he's going to try to do something at this moment. She would get out tarot cards. She was able to convince him that she could read into his future. And so she would read the tarot cards and they would have a calming effect on him because she would kind of give recommendations on how to achieve this future that the tarot cards are showing. And in order to achieve that, you'd have to... Take a couple baths, calm down, don't raise your voice, you know, take a walk, take a hike, you know, all of these things. Yeah, good advice. And it would work for a brief amount of time, but he was still very violent towards Tina. Now, his relationship with his kids was even worse. So he frequently punched and slapped his kids punched and slapped. He would also hold knives to their throats. Like he just was a really, really violent man. Um, Tina said that he was temperamental, anxious. He had general paranoia. He was super violent and super aggressive. So he also did this thing called settling his debts. (gasps) We all know people like this. He had this thing where he was obsessed with every setback, insult, like general source of frustration, whether it was actually real. Like if someone had somehow inconvenienced him and they didn't even know it, or maybe they really didn't even inconvenience him. But in his head, it's an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. He would remember it. He would take a mental tally of it. And what he considered settling his debts was this person, whether they knew it or not, would have to do something for him. And if they don't do something for him because they don't know that they're in his debt because uh, no normal human being functions like that, he would then go and beat them up to settle his debt with them. He was very ill-tempered. He was very paranoid and he had an obsession with firearms. This is literally the worst combination that has ever existed. So he tried to settle his debts with people and that usually resulted in violence. And this is a quote from him. I believe in paying my debts Both good and bad. So he's just trying to say, like, I would also pay my debt. So why shouldn't I go beat these people up? Because I need to settle my debts that they owe me. Ah, It's so scary. Like, imagine just, like, accidentally bumping into someone. That's
0: your biggest fear, right? That's
1: my biggest fear because... I have met like I would say like three people who are kind of like this and I had no idea that they were like this until like there's like that one realization moment that sets in and you realize they'll bring up something so small that you're like what no normal person would actually bring this up and they bring it up and it was a million years ago and they bring it up in a way that's like yeah so um what are you gonna do about it now because you really hurt my feelings when you stepped on my toe at the grocery store. Five months ago, we were in the chip aisle. My toe has been hurting since then. And you're just like, what the fork, dude? I gotta go. And he was also a really intense conspiracy theorist. So he believed Jimmy Carter. Yeah, Jimmy Carter. Ronald Reagan busy people I don't know what else to say other than busy ass people I don't care if you agree with their politics they're busy they were busy people he believed that they were conspiring against him individually him just him they knew his name they knew he lived in Ohio and they were like fuck you dude and they were conspiring against him and he was also a self proclaimed survivalist so he was obsessed with the idea that there was going to be apocalypse that happens so he had this huge cold war conspiracy he felt like the Soviet aggression would lead to the breakdown of all society there would be economic collapse there would be nuclear wars they would um just it would be an apocalypse worldwide everyone would die and so he was committed to surviving this collapse by saving thousands of dollars worth of food inside of his house he started stockpiling weapons he would even buy guns from his co-workers he just felt like he needed to defend his family during the apocalypse he had so many guns in his house at one point if tim was sitting anywhere in the house his kitchen counter his sofa his bed he could literally easily just reach over and a gun would be in his reach like there were that many guns around the house Um, he kept every single one loaded and he had kids in his house remember that and with the safeties disabled so he was locked ready and loaded yeah so then he gets into a motorcycle accident and this was a very bad accident where he started getting an uncontrollable twitch in his right arm. So now he can't really work as a welder and he starts telling his co-worker if he can't provide for his family, he's going to die and he's going to, quote, take everyone with him. And this is around the time that he starts telling Tina, his wife, that he's hearing voices in his head. So they're like, okay, what do we do? They pretty much sell everything and they briefly move to Mexico because money lasts longer in Mexico was his reasoning for it. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, people kind kind of question this because it seems that he he's racist (laughs) I don't know know how else to say it so people are like why would you move to Mexico if you yourself don't like Mexicans like why I don't understand Mm. people were really confused people you know it's I'm not even going to get into why that logic is bad of, like, why are you racist? But, like, you get it. Like, if you are racist, why would you go and move to their land and be like, I hate you guys? Like, what are you doing, sir? Exactly. What is yeah. he saying about that? And so he said, I'm going to go and show them who's boss that was his oh direct quote God. so people were like um what so he goes to mexico for a couple of months and it just didn't really last long he didn't really like it there so he decides to move back into the united states and the best place to go is through the border of california so he goes from mexico into california and he settles down in a town called san ysidro now san ysidro is very interesting because it's a border town so this is literally the main traffic is from mexico in the u.s this is literally on the border it has a population. About 13,000 at the time I think there's a little bit more now Mm -hmm. And it's considered It was annexed by San Diego There was a lot of politics involved in this Which means that When a town is annexed by San Diego It means that the San Diego Police Department Is now going to be governing that town like, yeah. they're going to be in that town. Instead of... Um, I think there was some border control there, but it would still be a lot of it with San Diego Police Department. And there really wasn't, like, that so, much... But, um, but
0: they're not considered fully San Diego? Is that what you're saying?
1: I mean, they are, uh-huh. but people thought because it was a border town, mm-hmm. San Diego wouldn't get it, but they annexed it, and somehow they got it. So, I mean, it was like mm. this whole thing. San Diego just wanted the power of having a border town. So the reason that a lot of people hated this was because San Diego wanted to have a border town but Mm -hmm. they didn't want to put resources into that town Mm -hmm. so they didn't want to help govern it in a way that made it flourish that made the residents feel like they were heard and part of san diego and had a say on how their lives would be run in this city right they just were like i want that shit because it's on the border thank you but we're not gonna like it was really yeah they were underserved and misrepresented as a community like it just was a lot of politics involved and so i believe right now they're at like twenty five thousand people but at the time it was closer to 15 $10,000. Thousand. Mm -hmm. And it borders Tijuana, Mexico And it's a nice community I mean it's peaceful, it's pleasant Um, This is what a lot of the people who worked in San Diego uh, San Ysidro said And they said that it's probably the busiest border crossing in the world at the time So like it doesn't matter if it's the US to Canada Or anywhere else in the world Any border between two nations This was probably the busiest at the time They were just busy There was obviously some crime There was some violence And there was also the biggest issue that they had Was the biggest heroin issue because they were right on the border town it was easy access you know it was it was just too easy to get heroin this was in 1984 so that's kind of San Ysidro San Diego and when he moved there he had a brief brief little job as a security guard but he ended up getting fired a couple weeks prior to all of this going down there was also an alleged suicide attempt where he had put the loaded pistol against his temple and he started threatening to shoot himself he was like look kids look wife I'm gonna just blow my brains out and they were all just like what is wrong with you like don't do that and so Tina mm-hmm. was able to kind of um disarm him and that's when he started yelling at her you should have let me shoot myself so it seems like there was a lot going on in his head there was a lot on his mind now days before the massacre that's where it gets really weird so two days before the massacre he tells his wife that he thinks he has a mental problem so he recognizes something is wrong inside of his brain and he said okay like i'm going to try to get help so he calls the San Diego Mental Health Clinic and he requests an appointment Now, he was very calm on the phone. He was just explaining the situation. I think something's wrong with me. I would love to speak to someone. They got his name. The receptionist said that she would call back in a few hours. And he even verified, apparently, that he said, are you sure you'll call back in a couple hours? She said, yeah, we'll call you back in a couple hours. And he said, okay, thank you so much. And he hangs up the phone. Now, allegedly, he sat by the phone patiently, just like waiting For this call For hours Just quietly sitting there And this is not me Having any empathy for him But it is It is a little sad Because I too Have like tried different Like appointments Here and there And it's really hard You know A lot of the times You just get voicemail When you need an appointment And you're just like Okay Like that's kind of What if You know What if it's really bad At that situation So he's just sitting Next to his phone And his wife said That abruptly Out of nowhere He just gets up From that chair And just walks out Of the house And he gets on his motorcycle And he leaves he doesn't say a word to anyone he doesn't say where he's going he doesn't say what's going on he just comes back later and he seems like he's completely fine now here's the crazy thing the receptionist at the mental health clinic had logged his name differently than what the way that it's actually spelled so I don't know if that had anything to do with it I think after the fact there was a little bit of issues because people were like wait did he seek mental health because that's what you know his wife is saying but then people were like I don't have any records do you have any records and it seemed like they had misspelled his name Mm -hmm. now also because He had such a polite demeanor and he had no sense of urgency when he was talking to the receptionist. Plus, she even asked him, like, have you ever been hospitalized for mental health issues? He said, no, I haven't because that was the truth. And so because of that, she categorized him as a non-crisis inquiry, which means that they will be handled in 48 hours. And actually not in a couple of hours So he really expected To be called back within a couple of hours And he thought that he was going to get help And so Tim, he comes back home And he seemed really content at this point So his two daughters, they were now 12 years old And 10 years old, and he Ate dinner with his wife and his two kids They biked in a nearby park They just went biking, they got home He and his wife watched a movie, like it seemed Like he was okay, so his wife Is like, oh, like he's okay now, like yeah There was like that brief moment today where he wanted to get help but you know maybe he just like needed to clear his mind now the day of july 18th it was a wednesday that was two days after he called that mental health clinic he decides to go to court because he had to reduce a 75 five dollar traffic fine that he had Uh and he waited three and a half hours at the court so that he could ask the judge to get rid of the fine And the judge said that he seemed happy, he seemed polite, he seemed patient, he was intelligent, he was eloquent, and so he reduced the fine. You know, he said that he had recently moved from Mexico and he was in Ohio, and he just didn't know that that was against the rules in San Ysidro, and he's so sorry. And they just took away the fee of the fine. Yeah. And he waited three and a half hours to get rid of that fine. Now this is really interesting because when you know that you might die today, you're probably not going to waste three and a half hours trying to get rid of that ticket fine, exactly. it's just so odd right yeah so then afterwards they stop by the san diego zoo and they're walking through that's when he stops his wife in the middle of the san diego zoo and he looks at her and says listen i think my life is effectively over at this point point." and she's like what are you talking about sweetie like what do you mean your life is over and he says well i don't know i just feel like it's over She's like, well, what what about the appointment? Like, did, did you get an appointment? You know, like, are you having suicidal thoughts again? Like, what's going on? Like, did you get that appointment at the mental health clinic? Yeah. And he looks at her and he says, they never called back. And I quote, well, society has had their chance. End quote. She didn't think anything of it. I've got a lot of questions for Tina, okay? I mean, it's going to get worse later.
0: But I also think maybe...
1: He says stuff like this Yeah, all the
0: time. like, you know, it seems like they... You know, when they have the swings, had the episodes, it does escalate very quickly.
1: Yeah. And so they eat at a McDonald's near the zoo for lunch and they go home. So now this is really important.
0: they ate at a McDonald's?
1: Yeah. And this McDonald's was near the San Diego Zoo. And this is going to come into question a little bit later because the McDonald's that they ate at after the San Diego Zoo with the whole family. I mean, there's a lot of questions of why he didn't perform not perform, but do what he did at this McDonald's rather than the one near his house. And some people say it has to do with his family being there. Some people Uh say it has to do with the the plain reason that he didn't have any weapons on him um, because he just went to court and you can't bring weapons into court. Or it has to do with the fact that this McDonald's was predominantly white people and the McDonald's that he targeted and majority of his victims will be either Mexican or Mexican-Americans that he will have killed. Huh. And he is known to hate immigrants. He hates all immigrants, but specifically, he hates Mexican immigrants.
0: So interesting. And
1: so interesting why he would move to San Ysidro then. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. You'll never guess what I'm getting my sister for Christmas. (laughs) I was just FaceTiming my sister and my dad recently. And my dad was making fun of my sister because my sister is spending all of this money on like getting the perfect sheets for her baby who's on the way, like just the best of the best. And my dad's like, this is weird. Have you seen your sheets, lady? And we were FaceTiming. I saw her sheets. She's had those same sheets since I was in high school and probably longer. So I told her, listen, you better stop that because I'm getting you broke. Linen sheets, listen, I have put those on my bed and I have never slept better. I feel like sheets are one of those things that you don't realize can change the whole sleeping game. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't find it, they decided to found Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with the manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury-level markups. They also have a variety of different sheets Colors, patterns, materials that fit your needs and your taste. They have over 50,000 five star reviews and counting. And so you can be confident in their product and that all their bedding comes with a lifetime warranty. I love my sheets, but most importantly, I love my pillowcase. Like putting your face on that, you want something soft, you want something that feels good on your face. They've also got comforters, they've got pillows, they've got towels, loungewear, and more. You can buy sheets, bedding, and pillows all at once and say, Save even more money. <laughs> so don't wait. Do something nice for yourself. Or maybe you already have nice sheets. Maybe you already have Brooklyn, and like I do. Then do something nice for your loved ones. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code ROTTEN to get 10% off your first order and free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter code ROTTEN for 10% off your first order plus free shipping. Again, that's Brooklynlinen.com. Use promo code ROTTEN. So they get home from that McDonald's and his wife is just chilling in bed because she was really tired from like the zoo, the court, the McDonald's and everything. And that's when Tim comes in wearing a maroon T-shirt and camel pants. And he looks at his wife and he says, I want to kiss you goodbye. And so she's like, what? Where are you going? Like, I'm literally about to prepare for dinner. So it seems like she wasn't really alarmed by this statement. She was just like, what are you talking about? Like, what time are you going to come home from dinner? Like, I'm going to make dinner for all of us. And where are you going? And he looks back at her and he says, hunting. Hunting for humans And he's super calm hunting for yeah. humans? He super calmly Walks out of the apartment Now this is where It gets crazy I mean people have A lot of questions Of why did Tina Not say anything You knew that your husband Was seeking out mental help Two days ago And then today He says I want to kiss you goodbye He says I'm going out Hunting for humans And he's leaving With multiple guns Should you not have Called anybody Should you have done something right. Well she didn't do anything And I don't want to put The blame on her Because I genuinely think Even if she did something He would have found some way shape or form to really still act out on this I don't even know what to say, right? But I still think that when someone that you love or like a loved one, maybe she was scared. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But it's just kind of it boggles a lot of people's minds why she just yeah. kind of let him walk out of there. Mm-hmm. And so he has a gun across his shoulders. He was carrying a box of ammunition. I'm talking hundreds of rounds of ammunition. He had a bundle that was wrapped up in a checkered blanket, and inside that bundle were two more guns that he was carrying. Now on How his way many out guns of he three total guns on his way out, but he had hundreds of rounds of ammunition per gun
0: how is he carrying all that in the bag
1: yeah and as he's walking out he looks at one of his daughters and when i say looks at i mean it was kind of kind of um what do you call it kind of implying that it was a glance. Like, he didn't even look at the daughter. He just kind of glanced at the daughter and said, goodbye, I won't be back. Like, the way that he treats his daughters is very interesting compared to the way that he treats his wife. So it seems that he does abuse all of his family, but it seems like he has a more intense hatred for his kids for some reason. He was just like, goodbye, I'm not going to be back, bye. And he leaves. Now, Tina said that she has no explanation why she didn't report this bizarre behavior, even though the kid was like, hey, mom, dad said that he's not going to be back. Like, what's going on? She just doesn't have a reason why she didn't call anyone, but other people called nine one one. Okay, so someone had seen Tim leave the apartment and saw that he was carrying two firearms, so they immediately call nine one one. They don't know who he is. I believe it was just like a random witness that lived in the apartment complex, and the dispatch gave the wrong address to the responding officers, so they end up showing up at the wrong place. So they call nine one one. The witness calls nine one one. They give the correct address. Uh Dispatch gives the incorrect address, and. So the responding officers go to a different apartment complex and they're like, we don't see anyone with a gun. What are you talking about?
0: That's unacceptable yeah a, oh it gets deadly worse. mistake
1: they go to a different mcdonald's later uh-huh yeah 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 and so at this point multiple witnesses see him drive and the way that he's driving is very fascinating so he was probably only about two blocks away from his apartment complex and there is this very busy intersection where there's a usps post office there is also a big bear supermarket and there's a mcdonald's at the like corner of this intersection it's a very busy intersection and so people had seen him trying to drive into the supermarket then he like makes a turn then he decides to go to the usps branch but then he leaves that branch and then goes into the mcdonald's and parks at the mcdonald's in the parking lot this was again like 200 yards from where his apartment is right next to his house essentially like he could walk there but he just drove into the mcdonald's now at three fifty-six p.m he parks inside of that mcdonald's now this mcdonald's on this I- intersection in san ysidro was busy this was in the 80s where McDonald's had playgrounds and kids oh loved the playground. You know, people like uh, when you would ask people in the 80s, like kids, what's your favorite restaurant? They wouldn't say stuff like, what's kids favorite restaurant now (laughs) you know but they would always say McDonald's because they love the playground Uh so this one was really busy it was filled with families it was filled with kids and in Tim's possession he had a nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol he had a nine millimeter carbine and I had to Google this because I have no idea what this is and it's essentially kind of like a rifle in terms of it has a long barreled firearm but it's shorter than the standard rifle so essentially just picture a rifle a nine millimeter rifle he had a 12 gauge shotgun and those were his three weapons that he had he had a box and a bag and inside of it was hundreds of ammunition for each weapon inside of that mcdonald's 45 people there were 45 people inside of the mcdonald's his youngest victim will be eight months old so he walks into that mcdonald's right after he parks and there's just families and children everywhere and he immediately tim aims the shotgun at an employee this employee's name is john arnold and he was 16 years old okay so this is probably like his first job he's like oh my god i'm so excited i got a job like i'm trying to make some money so i can like go out with my friends to the movies right and he's like a 16 year old with a job like he's just trying to like get responsibility and like get money so he can do these things right yeah and when bad stuff happens Happens to people with good intentions. It drives me nuts. And that's when John Arnold looks around and he sees, he hears his assistant manager shout. And the assistant manager's name is Guillermo. Says, "Hey, John, that guy's gonna shoot you." What? Because he's trying to alert him, like get down or something, you know. Uh. And so John swings his head around and he sees. Tim pointing a shotgun at him uh-huh. and he looks at him and he blinks and John saw him pull the trigger and nothing happened. So he's like, what? And so then Tim goes to looking at his gun and he's like trying to figure out like what's wrong. And John, honestly, at this point, I think it didn't settle into his brain that this is real because he thought this was like a sick joke. Like, what's Wait, wrong Tim
0: with go in into the McDonald's, pull out a gun and ready pointing to fire a shot? at
1: the service counter. Yeah. Without
0: any... Thing?
1: Nothing Just ready to shoot people
0: Oh my god
1: And that's when The assistant manager Was like Hey John That guy's gonna shoot you Like you know Trying to like Oh my god Like we gotta do something yeah. And he pulled the trigger And it didn't go off So John genuinely thought Like in his 16 year old brain There's no way Shit like this happens You know You're 16 You're innocent You don't understand That there's people Like this in the world And uh-huh. so he was like God What kind of sick joke Is this He thought maybe It was like Guillermo's friend He thought maybe It was like Someone pulling a prank On a McDonald's And he was just like God what is wrong With these people And he starts walking away from Tim. Like, walking away from the counter. Like, what the heck just happened, right? And that's when, hearing all of this commotion, the main manager of this McDonald's, her name is Neva, and she was 22 years old. She, this is so sad, she had just gotten back from her honeymoon, so she had taken a couple days off to go on her honeymoon, newly married. She's 22 Mm -hmm. and a manager, like, she... She has a whole life, a whole career ahead of her. And she starts walking towards John because she's like, what's going on? Like, why are people screaming? Like, why did he scream? Hey, John, someone's going to shoot you. Right. Like, that's weird. Yeah. And as she's walking towards him, Tim fires into the ceiling. It goes off like there's a bullet in the ceiling now. And all the families like are shocked. It's like silence. And then he gets the gun and shoots neva under her left eye she died minutes later then he shoots john in the chest and the arm and he did not end up dying he ended up very very wounded but he will survive and this is when everyone in the McDonald's Is freaking out all the employees All of the families all of the customers And uh-huh. this is when Tim screams everyone On the ground and he starts Shooting at anyone trying to run out And at all of the windows so This forced a lot of people to like Hide under the booths because they mm-hmm. saw people Running and they saw them go down oh So God. they're like okay like we're not going to try to run Right now because we don't know what's going on right yeah. But also in situations like this it's so Easy for people to be like I would have just run Out of there I would have done 25 cars." wheels i would have ricocheted off of the slide then i would have busted through the window because i ain't dying today like i always see comments like that randomly in certain videos like this and i'm like no like that's literally not how people work in moments like this maybe if you're like a trained navy seal but in most situations people are very like fight or flight and most people are freeze this is when everyone just gets quiet they start hiding under booths they start gathering their kids so a lot of the um survivors they said it was so hectic because you know when you are a mom or a dad or like a caretaker your kids are playing in the playground and you're sitting Uh, watching them but now they're in the playground so you're trying to gather them but you're also not trying to get shot because if you're moving around mm-hmm. you know that he might look your way and be like why are you moving and then shoot you yeah so it just was insanely hectic and he goes Tim goes on a rampage a rant and he starts calling everyone a dirty swine Vietnamese asshole now this is really confusing because majority of the time he's going to talk about how he was part of the Vietnam War and how he's killed a thousand people and he's willing to kill a thousand more now there's a lot of weird things that happened because number one he never served in any military branch in the U.S. So he never served in the Vietnam War. So that doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, the victims inside of the McDonald's were predominantly Mexican or Mexican-Americans and I don't even think there was a Vietnamese person there. Mm -hmm. So it's a little odd. Um, A lot of people speculate that maybe this was a setup to some sort of crazy, not guilty by reason of insanity type of plea. Like if he could act like he he had PTSD and he zoned Mm -hmm. out and thought he was in Vietnam or something. I don't know. I don't
0: think at that moment he was thinking about pleading not guilty. Yeah. Right?
1: But like it doesn't make any sense to anyone because like it's so random. I couldn't find anything in his childhood that even connected him to anyone who was Vietnamese or anything that happened in Vietnam. Mm. It's just so odd. Even in like his past, most people will say that he was incredibly racist and hated all immigrants, but he specifically hated Mexican immigrants. So again, like I just don't see why he went in there and said that. This is again, all for speculation because he's not here to tell us. Okay. Not that we'd give a shit about anything he says anymore, right? So then his next victim would be Victor Rivera. So Victor... He's 25 and he was there with his new wife. Like they had just gotten married recently and they had two beautiful kids. He stands up. He's 25. He stands up and he's pleading with him not to shoot anyone. He's like, okay, it's okay. Now, a lot of people think that Victor did this because he felt like he was dealing with a traumatized veteran you know so he was trying to say listen it's okay we're not in vietnam you know we're in san ysidro everything's gonna be okay like he was really trying to save everyone he was trying to save his family he was trying to save all of the people that were there because he genuinely thought this was a war veteran who was going through some shit and wow. he felt like there must be love in this man's heart because he's a war veteran it's not hate in his heart it's just trauma it's ptsd so he's trying to you know rationalize with him and he says it's okay you don't have to shoot anyone else we're here to help you like he's saying all these nice things and tim shoots him now victor screams out in pain when the bullet meets his body and that's when tim starts repeatedly screaming shut up while he proceeds to shoot victor 14 more times in front of his wife and his two kids oh my god and in front of everyone who just saw him literally just trying to help everyone like imagine the trauma of that Now at this point, everyone's hiding under booths and Tim starts walking over and he sees that a bunch of people are huddled together. So everyone had, most of the people had come either with their families or their friends. So they had loved ones and companions that they were huddling together with. You also have a lot of instances in today's story where people are shielded by their loved ones and it's gonna make, yeah, you're gonna cry. It made me so emotional. And so he just is walking through the groups of people that are huddled together underneath these booths. And that's when he stops with a group of six women and children he stops right in front of them and he shoots maria who is 19 years old in the chest and she dies then he shoots a nine year old nine by the name of claudia perez she was shot in the stomach cheek thigh hip leg chest back armpit and her head
0: how many shot? like just he just went on he went just off?
1: went off on her
0: and this is from the six people group
1: yes and including in that group was Claudia's sister Amelda who was 15. So this is her older sister cuz Claudia's 9, Amelda's 15. She saw all of this happening and he shoots her once in the hand. So she was wounded by the shooting but she didn't die. That's when he turns his attention to a 11-year-old by the name of Aurora Peña and she was initially just wounded by being shot in the leg by him, right? And the reason that she was initially just wounded was because she was there with her aunt by the name of Jackie Reyes who was 18 years old, she was pregnant, and she was shielding her. So Jackie, the pregnant aunt, is literally covering Aurora's 11-year-old body with her own body, shielding her. And this seemed to piss off Tim. So he shoots Jackie Reyes 48 times. She was pregnant, and she also had a kid. So her 8-month-old, Carlos, her son... 8 months old who had just recently gotten baptized they had done these beautiful pictures he, uh, you know he starts crying cuz he's 8 months old carlos is like what's going on with my mom like what's happening and so he starts crying and tim starts yelling curse words at the baby just like cursing at the baby and then shoots him and kills the 8 month old carlos Then he leaves that group and he goes over to a man by the name of Lawrence, who was a 62-year-old truck driver who was just literally on the job and stopped at this McDonald's to get food, and he was shot and killed. Now, this is where it gets even worse. Then he walks over to a family. And this family consisted of um, three people plus a friend. So there was a woman by the name of Blythe, who was 31 years old, and her husband, Ronald Herrera. Now, together, they had an 11-year-old son by the name of Mateo. And he had invited his friend, Keith Thomas, to come to McDonald's with him. Mm -hmm. And Keith was 12 years old. So there was only two people that were able to fit in the booths that they were hiding in. So Blythe, the mom, she was shielding Mateo, her son, with her own body. She was, like, kind of covering him and... Just telling him to be quiet. Ronald, the dad, was shielding Mateo's friend under a booth and they were opposite each other, right? So they're mm-hmm. just, I mean, ugh, getting so frustrated. So that's when Tim aims for Keith Thomas. Tim, for some reason, was like, I'm going to kill that kid. And so he is trying to shoot Keith, but Ronald, the dad, well, the friend's dad, is shielding him. Mm hmm and so he was only shot in the shoulder both of his arms his wrist and his left elbow he was not critically wounded though he said that the only thing he remembers is he constantly felt like he was falling asleep and mm-hmm. he just felt a lot of heat like there's so much heat like he was so hot yep. and it seems like it was the heat of the bullets now Ronald because he was shielding Keith from all the shots mm-hmm. he took over seven shots in his stomach his chest his arm his hips his shoulder and his head he would later survive but remember ronald's because it's going to get really intense a lot of the police will try to tell people that the all of the shootings happened within the first two minutes right like the first couple of minutes uh-huh. however ronald's first initial shot and then the last time he was shot there was 40 minutes in between so people are saying well what are you talking about police
0: so this is the first rounds you're talking about this is the about. first
1: round and then ronald would get shot again 40 minutes later while he's already bleeding and has oh like my God. multiple bullets in his body but he will survive now blythe and mateo the wife and the son they will have numerous shots to the head and they will both be killed and then he walks over to a group of friends um, by the name of Guadalupe and she was shielded by her friends, Gloria and adris Delcy. Now, Guadalupe had several shots in her body, but she was not seriously hurt. And it's so crazy to the point because she was actually one of the first people to be escorted out of the McDonald's after the shootings happened and she had blood all over her and she thought it was all of her friends. And it was really hard for the police to tell her, hey, you need to go to the hospital because actually you too have been shot. Like she had no idea she was shot at this point. Even when she left the McDonald's. She was like, I'm okay. Like, I'm unharmed. Like, my friends. What about my friends? And people are like, you've been shot. Like, you need to get help right now. Oh and they didn't want to tell her, like, hey, you've been shot. Because they were scared she would go into shock. Uh-huh. So, they had to, like, very ease her way into it. Like, hey, like, maybe we should just sit down with the ambulance real quick, you know? Is it
0: because her friend was, like, on top of her? and
1: Yeah. So, she was shielded by her two friends, Gloria and Adrastelzi And Gloria would actually be unharmed. And Adrastelzi will. would die in the hospital the next day from a single shot to the head, I believe. Then he decided to walk over To a man by the name of Hugo And he was a 45 year old banker He was shot and killed With a bullet to the chest Now at this point You're probably thinking Exactly what I was thinking Where the fork is 911 Okay he walked in At three 3.56pm And uh-huh. the first 911 call Was made around 4pm So like 4 minutes later uh-huh. And we're gonna get into this But apparently the person Who had called said There's a little, bro- little girl That's been shot And pol- people believed Like the police believed It was maybe like A domestic di- disturbance Like an accident They knew in the general area of where it happened but they were like okay like a little girl has been shot it's probably not a mass murder it's probably like maybe the parents were fighting or maybe it was a drive-by and something happened and the little girl ended up getting shot so the dispatch sends the responding officers to a mcdonald's that's two miles away that's on the same road but two miles away so it was the wrong McDonald's. Now, why does this matter? Two miles? I mean, if they put on their sirens, how long is it going to take, Stephanie? Why are you making this a big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. Because this affects lockdown. So when there's a mass murder, lockdown needs to go into place. I'm talking blocks of lockdown. No more civilians driving onto these roads. Because mm-hmm. you don't know if the shooter's going to get out, get into a car, and start going to a different location. If he's going to run out of there and start shooting at regular civilians that are walking by. Like, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the only Warning that people had Were from other civilians Being like Don't go to the McDonald's Like people are shooting Like run 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 Right Mm -hmm. And um, A lot more people died Okay, listen, I know you need a break from that darkness and I'm going to give you something really bright and happy because our good friend, she has been talking to us about starting her own business, her own small business for months now. And every single time we're like, what's going on? Like, are you doing it? She would say, no, I'm literally so confused. I'm not like you. I don't know how the internet works. I don't know how to make a website. I don't know how to do all of this. I don't know how to sell a product online. That's just so complex. And we're just like, listen, you need to use Squarespace. It's so easy. It's pretty much an all-in-one platform. You can have e-commerce. You can buy your domain from Squarespace. You can do marketing tools, analytics, so that she can see exactly how many people are visiting her website on a daily basis. It's easy to use and it has world-class design. So whether you guys are just trying to start a website to have like your own portfolio or online stores that just sell some of your beautiful designs, Squarespace is pretty much the place for you. She started selling stationery and she's been obsessed with the process. She said that setting up her website took about one off day from her work. So Mm -hmm. we were like, that's so simple she even suggested that um i start selling some stationery that says not today ted bundy and i was like that's too edgy whether you guys are just getting started or an established brand squarespace has a powerful e-commerce platform designed to help your business grow you can sell unlimited products and services online with no transaction fees which is crazy because sometimes those can really take a take a big dump on small businesses and effortly manage your inventory orders and your customers And the best part is that you can actually buy your domain from Squarespace. It's simple because there's really no hidden fees or price hikes. I mean, we've all been on like small business TikTok. We're all on that grind of supporting small businesses. And let's say you are one of those people who's like, wait, I want to I want to start my own small business. I've been thinking about it. But you've just been so overwhelmed at the idea of making this website. Squarespace is the place for you. And if you're like me and you're trying to do this at three in the morning, okay, because sometimes that's when the motivation and that's when the inspiration takes Hit. Squarespace has 24-7 award-winning customer support, so you can call them at 3 in the morning and be like, hey, yeah, I know, I'm still awake, I need help. <laughs> Make sure to go check out squarespace.com slash rotten for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, just use the offer code rotten to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash rotten. So in between shooting at people, um, Tim started shooting all over the place. Now, if you have been to a McDonald's, especially the back of a McDonald's, like the kitchen area, it's all steel. Like uh-huh. the the walls are pretty much steel. Like the kitchen countertops are steel, and so you have bullets ricocheting off of the steel. He's shooting at people, but he's also just shooting in general, shooting at the walls, shooting at the windows, and it just it made people really confused. Like all of the people who were either trying to escape or just literally preserve life, mm-hmm. they were very confused at what was going on, like what to do next. It made everyone disoriented, and yeah. it made them more confused than ever. He would also, yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Why isn't anybody outside of McDonald calling? I feel like at this point, all the neighbors, yeah. all the passengers should be calling the crap out of the cops.
1: Yeah, they were. And then it gets worse. So then that's when um he would also go around and shoot people who wouldn't even move. So whether they were playing dead or they were actually dead, he would shoot them anyway. It seemed like he just wanted to make sure people were dead. But so, he
0: wasn't killing every single person in yeah, sight. Yeah. He just, he just was randomly. Trying, yeah, like
1: kind of like randomly. And it was frantic. And that's when around 4 p.m. Um, L- Lydia Flores and her two-year-old daughter, they end up at the drive-thru. So they're going through the drive-thru. Oh and because God. they couldn't hear anyone at the actual like um, intercom station, uh-huh. Lydia ended up driving up to the window. Uh-huh. Because a lot of the times you can just drive up to the window and place your order. Uh-huh. And she saw that the window was shattered. And there was shattered glass everywhere. And that's when she hears gunfire. And she physically saw him shooting at people. So she hits that reverse uh-huh. on that car. Co- Car so fast until she hits a fence she gets out of the car with her two-year-old daughter and they just proceed to hide in the bushes oh because she was scared God. if she was running she'd be a target yeah. she would see that someone was there so she just hid in the bushes until all of it was over like 70 <sighs> minutes okay and then you have the Felix family so around 4.05 p.m. the Felix family which who consisted of Alstafo and Maricela and their four-month-old daughter Carlita they had parked at the post office and started wa- walking towards the McDonald's. Oh so it's really, it's a lot because there's like so many small things that happen. So Marisela, she was interviewed for a documentary called 77 Minutes. And it, I, it's a very frustrating documentary. Um, I would probably watch maybe the first half of it. I only watched it really to get the victim statements, but I will say that the director of the documentary gets heavily involved and almost accusatory against the police a lot of the times. Like, he would literally try to catch a police officer in a shitty conversation, if that makes sense. Like, he would ask the same question reworded differently, Uh just so he could... It almost felt like he was trying to get, like, a soundbite. Like, most journalists, they're trying to get the truth, right? But it seemed like the director in this situation almost just wanted the police officer to say something that he could kind of mark it as, like, fucked up. So like okay. when you watch it, it's hard to explain. But when you watch it, you know how sometimes will like people will ask you the same question, just reworded, and then again and then again, and you're like, yeah. I mean, this isn't even a question that would change anything. That yeah. like, this isn't a question that would even, you know, put fault in the police department. It's literally just kind of like a shitty question. Yeah,
0: yeah. like there's so no. His intention is yeah. Weird. So it seemed
1: like the producer went in with the intention of making this whole thing about the police, which mm-hmm. I agree. There's so much fuck up. That the police had mm-hmm. um and i'm no way on their side on this one but it's just when you watch it it's just kind of frustrating, frustrating like yeah. okay like move on like let's actually talk about the things that they could have done better instead of getting this individual officer to say something that really won't change anything that's the documentary but there is also graphic footage of the incident itself so if you d- there are um
0: security know. camera
1: yeah not the actual shooting part but afterwards of the victims laying there oh, so man. i i wouldn't say that it's you
0: saw some part of it
1: Yeah, it's really intense. And so at this point to the family, the Felix family, they had parked at the post office. Oh, and what i was saying is that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the day to day. And Maricela, the only thing that she remembers really is that prior to this, she had told her husband she really wanted to get tacos. But he was like, no, let's get McDonald's. It's right there because they were running errands and they had gone to the post office. So they start walking towards the McDonald's and. That's when they see a bunch of shattered glass. Now, they kind of believed it was an accident or a renovation happening because, like, the amount of shattered glass there was, there wasn't a lot. Most of the windows were still intact. Mm. So that is also a huge thing that we'll talk about later, right? So they sh- saw a little bit of shattered glass, and they saw a man coming out of the McDonald's, and he looked like he was in some, like, work gear. He didn't look like he was, like, in all black, like, just like, ooh, I'm trying to hide, you know, or anything. And so they it kind of— him? Yeah, it was Tim. And so they kind of assumed that he was the repairman that was walking out of the McDonald's to get to the... Yeah, the shattered glass area, right? Okay. And that's when all of a sudden Maricela was shot in the face. And she said it felt like a bomb had hit her in the face. She was then shot in the arms, the chest, and the stomach. She would end up surviving this ordeal, but she would go blind in one eye, and one of her hands is completely unusable at this point. Astafo, he Wait, was what, shot. Are they
0: outside of McDonald's outside, or inside?
1: Outside, walking towards the McDonald's.
0: And he Tim walked out and yeah. shot them and went back in.
1: Yeah. And then Astafa was shot in the chest and the head. Their baby, their four month old baby, Carlita, she was critically wounded because she was shot in the neck, chest, and abdomen. Four months old. Now, this at this point, Maricela, she's like on the ground. There's just blood everywhere. She's been shot in the face. And that's when Ostafo is like, Listen, Maricela, give me the baby. Give me the baby. So Maricela gives the baby to the husband. Ostafo runs. I mean, he's been shot in the chest and the head. Oh, he's running. God. He sees a random lady, like a civilian, and just hands her the baby who's who's bleeding and is shot. And her name was Lucia Velasco. And so he goes back to Maricela to make sure that his wife is okay. And Maricela, when she saw him come back without her four month old baby, she collapsed like she fainted. So she fainted against a car Lucia who now has this random person's Baby she doesn't speak any English She finds a police officer somehow And she kept saying it's not my baby It's not my baby what do I do like it's not my baby And so she was holding the head Wound with her hand making sure that The baby wasn't bleeding and then the police Officer held the back wound and he Drove with one hand and he even stopped Multiple times during the drive from the McDonald's to the hospital to Do CPR on the baby multiple times So Lucia takes the baby to the hospital hospital um she again calls 911 of course and Lucia's husband goes and tries to help the Felix parents get to safety Felix um the Ostaffa and Marc Marcella sorry their last name's Felix and the whole Felix family will end up surviving side note Ostaffa actually gets murdered later on in life by someone else that is unrelated to this incident but um yeah the whole Felix family survives this particular incident so that's when three boys who are riding bicycles They're 11 year olds. All three of them are like 11 and they're riding bikes around the area. And they had just gone across the street to get yum yum donuts. So at this point, here's what's crazy. Like police are showing up one by one. But a lot of the times um, he would Tim would come out and just shoot at them. And so they really were outnumbered. They didn't really have like what to do. You know, I'll get into it. So these three 11-year-olds, they show up and they were riding their bikes around and that's very common in San Ysidro. Like I said, it was a relatively peaceful community from what I can tell. And they had ridden their bikes to a place called Yum Yum Donuts, which was across the street. Mm-hmm. And that's when they were like, wait, donuts aren't doing it for us. <laughs> like, let's go get some sundays." And so they're riding their bike through the parking lots to get to McDonald's and they hear someone from across the street like waving them down like shouting at them like shouting some nonsense and they can't hear Mm -hmm. so one of they all stop at the Mm -hmm. mcdonald's parking lot and they're all looking back at the people that are like shouting at them so they hesitate right Mm -hmm. so they stopped their bikes and they're looking back trying to understand what the civilian is shouting at them Mm -hmm. and tim comes out and he shoots All three of them. Joshua Coleman was shot in the back arm and the leg and he was critically wounded. Um, Then Omar Hernandez, his friend, was shot multiple times in the back. David Delgado was shot in the head and died instantly. So Joshua Coleman, he will end up surviving this incident but he did see both of his friends die so he was laying on the pavement and he saw omar like blood squirting out of him he couldn't breathe um omar started vomiting everywhere and then he ended up dying Now, Joshua, for over an hour, he would lay there and pretend to be dead while he was critically bleeding and wounded, like he needed help ASAP. He was short of breath. He said that it almost felt like his lungs were collapsing. There's really no other way to describe it. And he couldn't get any air, but also he had to try not to be so obvious because he's pretending to be dead, you know? Uh And his two friends will die at the scene. There is footage of them like they're they had fallen over on their bikes so their bikes are like still on them i guess like in between their legs you know oh my
0: god where is the police
1: so they're all arriving but um this is also i mean the first person on the scene the first police officer he was shot at multiple times and he said that he was outgunned So he had a 38 caliber weapon and this man, Tim, was armed with three high-powered weapons, semi-automatic weapons. So they also, we'll get into it. So then an elderly couple walks towards the restaurant trying to just get some lunch um it was 74 year old miguel and 69 year old ada so they're elderly right and they're walking and joshua saw them walking to the restaurant a couple other witnesses saw too so at this point you do have a lot of witnesses who have gathered but they're not what can they do you know they're not the police they don't even have a gun right mm-hmm. they're just trying to make sure nobody else is going into the mcdonald's mm-hmm. and so they're like shouting out the elderly couple they walk towards the entrance tim comes out and shoots ada in the face and she was immediately killed he shot miguel and he was wounded now miguel starts cradling his wife and wiping the blood from her face and he starts cursing at tim and at the mcdonald's like just i mean imagine the anger of like what the fuck right and that's when tim comes back outside curses back at miguel and shoots him in the head and kills him so they too were outside the McDonald's. So in total, it took 10 minutes for the first responder to arrive. And his he was Officer Rosario, Miguel Rosario. He was the first to the scene. And Tim shot him multiple times or shot at him multiple times while he was in the car. So he takes cover. He gets out of the car. He was trying to like take cover behind this like huge truck. And, you know, Tim was shooting at the front of the truck, the back of the truck, under the truck like really trying to kill this police officer. And he said that he could shoot back, but he was totally outgunned. Like he had, like I said, a 38 caliber. You're talking about a man with multiple semi-automatic weapons. It was just really intense. Now, at this point, they initiate lockdown, which means six blocks from any direction of that McDonald's was locked down. They had a command post two blocks away from the McDonald's, and they had 175 police officers in different strategic locations to try to stop this incident. Within one hour, the SWAT teams will arrive. One hour. Seems very lengthy. Yes, it was rush hour traffic. It's going to get complex at this point you know officer rosario he said that while he was getting shot at he had this flash feeling of just utter sadness because he truly believed that he was gonna die and his only sadness was like oh no like my mom's gonna know that i'm dead like it's very he said it was really hard to explain like the sadness isn't even the fact that he won't see his mom again but his mom will just be so sad oh, that he, he died feels sad for his wife or for his mom
0: that's sad
1: yeah so he said that's really his main thought in the first you know couple of minutes that he was shot at so here's what's also very highly debated officer miguel had a couple of seconds where he did have viewing into the mcdonald's and could have shot tim
0: what does that mean like he that had-
1: means he had hidden behind a palm tree around uh-huh. the back entrance of the mcdonald's and he had a clear view of tim at one point so he could have taken shot uh-huh. now this is where people will continue to argue this uh-huh. but he says This does not make sense. In all of his years of police work, it doesn't make sense for Tim to be alone. Because at this point, you know, this was before in America, we just have constant mass shootings, you know? Oh, he's saying
0: he might have other people in there. Yes, he thought
1: this was a hostage situation with multiple perpetrators. So he said if he shoots him and his buddies start executing everyone, that's bad. He he said in his years of police work, it just doesn't make sense for Tim to be alone. It doesn't make sense because, you know, at this point, we're not dealing with constant mass shootings in the U.S. Uh-huh. So he was like, yeah, like I got to go with what makes sense, you know. I and see. so he said, what if it doesn't even go through the window? Because like the whole McDonald's, the windows are made out of laminate glass, which means that even when Tim was shooting at the windows, most of the glass was spider webbing and not actually being shattered so that also made it really hard for the police to have view inside the McDonald's because all they could see was shattered glass and then Mm -hmm. the timing of it was around 4 p.m. and the sun was shining directly and reflecting off of the glass so they could barely see into the McDonald's and so he said okay like what if it doesn't even go through the windows and it angers him and all of his buddies and they just start executing people right so at this point the police stalled for multiple reasons issue number one was that Tim kept firing rapidly with different guns that also made police believe that there were multiple different perpetrators inside the restaurant because they sound different, yeah. you know? So how could it only be one person? They thought there were multiple criminals. Issue number two was that it was tinted laminated, laminated glass. So the bullet holes are not holes. It's just spider webbed glass. So the reflections of the sun just made it really difficult to see inside the restaurant. Issue number three was the police didn't know that people had died yet. They thought they were being held hostage. They didn't know how many had been shot. They didn't know how many were being held hostage hostage because with every gunfire if you can't see inside you could kind of assume it's a warning shot or just to get attention you know you don't necessarily think people are receiving each bullet that's being fired and so there was one person who did escape from the mcdonald's and did tell the police that there's only one gunman and there's no hostages he's literally shooting anyone that's alive and like anyone he saw he's shooting them but they couldn't really go off of the word of one person because who's to say this person isn't involved in this incident either? So it was just kind of like That's the police. Weird. Yeah, so I think what it is is that the police can't risk the lives of so many people that they assumed were still alive just because one person said, no, 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 it's only one shooter.
0: But he's the only one that has any insight. Yeah. Yeah, that that last part is a little weird.
1: I think it's a little weird too. And so then 5.05 5 p.m., I believe, a call was made. Now, this again... 5.05? 5
0: 5, that's yeah, an hour later?
1: An hour later. This again is kind Wait, of a... Um, when
0: was the 4.05, yeah, right? No, 5.05,
1: 5, a call was made. So this again is very, um, like, super, like, argued. Mm-hmm. But that at 5.05, 5, all responding law enforcement personnel were authorized to kill the perpetrator should they obtain a clear shot.
0: Wait, what call is made? Who made the call?
1: Um, the SWAT commander okay so this is where people kind of have arguments so people say why 505 why not 405 you know why an hour do we really care about the shooter's life no we don't right i mean well you get it right we don't care about it more than we care about these innocent victims Mm -hmm. so um people were kind of questioning that so there was this terminology used back in the day called green light and red light so red light if the SWAT commander says hey red light right means that you cannot shoot the perpetrator you cannot and red light has to be specifically said it's not like you're always on red light red light has to be said we're on red light don't shoot the perpetrator for whatever reason okay i mean there's got to be good reasons that they have something called red light right Uh and green light means it doesn't matter anytime you get a clear shot of the dude you're allowed to shoot him okay Uh Now, when you don't have green light, you can still shoot the criminal if they are actively showing aggression and violence and trying to take the life of a fellow officer, yourself or a civilian. Uh So technically not having the green light doesn't mean that they weren't authorized to shoot and kill. They just um, it was just like this weird terminology that was used. So at 5.05 p.m. the official call was made that everyone has the green light. But people still technically could kill Tim before that because he was actively killing people and shooting at the officers. But mm. this would be argued later because people were saying, "No, like you didn't let them shoot until 505, you know." Mm. So like what was that hour for? But then, you know, the SWAT commanders were saying, "No, it's literally terminology and they have since gotten rid of that t- terminology because it would be too confusing for people." So a lot of civilians were mad, like, "What do you mean no green light?" But then they were also trying to say, "No, like that still means that you can technically shoot and kill them, you know." Mm. So it just got really complex. Now, this is where it gets crazy. There were a lot of people who were still alive inside the McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And they said that Tim was going crazy inside like he had brought this portable radio and he would start switching it from station to station. And at first, the people who were listening who were alive felt like maybe he was trying to see like news of the shooting to like kind of gather his next move. But he didn't. He just started playing music and kind of dancing around while he continued to shoot at people and shoot at walls now that's where Albert Leos comes in so Albert is a McDonald's employee and he was this was his first job ever he almost called out because all of his friends were like hey it's such a beautiful day like let's go to the beach today right and um, he didn't want to lie and say that he was sick so he just came into work because he was like listen I don't want to tell them I'm sick and there's no good reason to be like hey I can't come into work today like I gotta go catch some waves you know Mm -hmm. and so he had showed up at work there was another McDonald's employee by the name of Wendy Flanagan and she was really confused about like where the police were because they could constantly hear sirens from inside but no police ever came in and stopped the shooters so they're like what why are they what are they confused like what's going on Mm -hmm. and she just remembers it being so loud so loud what's so loud inside all of the bullets so we've been to the gun range and we wear earplugs and then like a set of headphones and i still get like ringing in my ears and i get anxious and she said it was so loud and At the end, we know that the shooter had shot out over 250 bullets. So it was nonstop. Now, Maria Rivera, do you remember her husband, Victor, who had tried to reason with the shooter in the beginning Mm -hmm. because he thought it was a war veteran? Um, Mm -hmm. She had her two daughters, their two daughters, a one-year-old and a four-year-old. A bullet had grazed her arm, and her four-year-old daughter had been shot in the leg by Tim and she kept telling her kids cuz the kids were so traumatized and confused and she kept telling her kids it's going to be okay and she pointed like the, k- the kids were like pointing at the bullets on the ground and maria kept saying the ice machine is broken and those are all just ice and so they're hiding under the booth and she felt like they were all going to die so she wanted her kids to not be stressed in their last moment so she said go to sleep, everything's going to be okay, and she was like rocking them to sleep so that they could just sleep. Tim would actually come over and kick Maria and she played dead. And there was a lot of blood because she had been shot and her daughter had been shot and he just walked away. Like this was a miracle because he was going around shooting people who even were dead. So for some reason this miracle happened. Let's talk about the hiding employees. So about 30 to 45 minutes later, after the shootings had started, um, Tim finds a bunch of employees and a couple of civilians hiding in the back kitchen. So he saw about six people and he says, oh, there's more. You're trying to hide from me. And he starts shooting at them. Um, Witnesses overheard a female employee screaming in Spanish. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. He ended up opening fire and he killed Margarita Padilla, who was 18 years old. Wendy Flanagan actually was able to run away. She was 17 at the time. She actually was able to run away. Margarita ended up dying Um, Wendy went to the emergency exit and it was locked so she couldn't exit the building and this was in like the basement storage of McDonald's so she had gone down the stairs into the basement where there was an emergency exit or something and it just it was locked so she couldn't do anything so she hid in the closet nearby and that's when she was like oh my god all these people had this idea because there was a bunch of other people hiding inside of that closet and that's when Tim finds Albert Leo's remember the 17 year old who wanted to go to the Beach, but showed up to work instead mm-hmm. well he had been shot five times and that's tim ran out of ammo he was albert was alive and tim was not trying to let albert get away but he ran out of ammo so he went to the counter like the service counter of mcdonald's and sat there reloading his gun mm-hmm. and albert was trying to run away but mm-hmm. he didn't know like when you um i don't know this personally but from what i can What I heard is that when you're shot, you're you have so much adrenaline pumping. So Albert without adrenaline, he stood up and then immediately fell face flat on the ground because he had been shot in his legs and he didn't realize. Mm. And so he's like, oh, my God. So he starts crawling crawling away as fast as possible and he actually managed to crawl down 25 steps into the basement to go to that emergency exit because he's an employee there so he knows there's an emergency exit uh-huh. it's locked so then he, he's trying to open the closet but it's not opening yeah. and then he hears people in there like because they don't know who it is right uh-huh. and then they said all they heard was albert going please let me in and so they opened the door and they dragged him in and Oh, God. He took off his shoelaces, 17 years old. I don't know how he even knows this. You know, I knew nothing when I was 17. Uh He took off both of his shoelaces Uh and tied one tightly around his right leg to control blood loss and then one around his left arm to control blood loss. Uh And this is the worst part. He didn't want to endanger anyone's lives in that closet. So he grabbed a piece of cloth And he just bit down as hard as he could because he couldn't make any noise because Tim had no idea they were hiding in a closet. And if he had heard, he would have opened fire into that closet. So imagine being shot so many times and he's trying so hard not to make a single sound. Does
0: Tim know that he's in there, down there? Okay, so he kind of just...
1: Okay. And then the and there was blood everywhere. So it's not like there was like one trail of blood that was leading to the basement, you know. Yeah. So Tim didn't seem to have any idea. And this is just so sad. And also imagine being coworkers of Albert and you know that he's in pain. You know he needs help, but what can you do? Nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty anxious person. <laughs> it's funny that I found such an intense passion in true crime and in cases like this. And it's odd because it almost gives me like a feeling of um, control over things Like at least if I know What's going out there And the psychology Of these events I feel like it doesn't Make me as anxious I feel like when I first Started in, getting into True crime I was a little bit more anxious Because I was like Whoa what? what why, why'd Why they do that Right mm-hmm. But now I'm like Okay Like I can see How this has progressed uh, Like how this has happened And I would like to say That I still need A lot of help sometimes <laughs> And if you guys Are on the same boat as me Whether it's not true crime Or whether it's just Overall life Because I think I'm just Overall an anxious Person. If there's something interfering with you and your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, sometimes maybe BetterHelp is a place that you can look into because BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can actually start communicating in under 48 hours. So, like I said, you know, there have been a couple of times where I tried to make appointments and a lot of the therapists in the area are booked out or they don't answer their phones. And that's why I really like BetterHelp, especially with the pandemic and everything going on. It's not a crisis line. It's also not self-help, but it is professional counseling done securely online. So there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in a lot of areas. And the service is available for clients worldwide. So if you guys study abroad and you're like, I'm looking for an English speaking therapist, this is perfect for you. So you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you never really have to like sit in that uncomfortable waiting room that you do with like traditional therapy. They're also committed to facilitating great matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Because, you know, most counselors are good, but that doesn't mean every counselor is the perfect match for you. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Visit BetterHelp.com slash rotten. That's Better. H-E-L-P and join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Right now, you guys can actually get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com rotten. I wouldn't say all of this is chronologically correct. I do know that Ronald Herrera was shot Forty minutes after his first initial wounding. Um, just keep in mind we, you know, the police and the press and everyone is really just trying to get a detailed timeline of all the survivors. But when something like this is happening, it's yeah. nearly impossible. Right. Exactly. And then all the trauma that's involved. And so at this point, um, At some point, Tim walks over to the group of six women that he had initially targeted. And do you remember how Aurora Pina, she was shielded by her aunt Jackie? Mm -hmm. Well, he noticed, she, Aurora, noticed that there was a stop in the gunshots. Like there was a moment where there wasn't a lot of gunshots happening, rapid fire. So she had opened her eyes and she saw Tim staring straight at her. Oh
0: my God, makes eye contact.
1: And he cursed at her, threw a bag of french fries at Aurora, and shot her with his shotgun in the arm, the neck, and the jaw. She would actually even survive this shooting, but she would be hospitalized longer than any other survivor. So she did have a lot of injuries. Now, the snipers, um, part of the SWAT team. So the SWAT team came really late because there was allegedly rush hour traffic. And a lot of snipers were set up at around 4.40 p.m. So about 40 minutes after the initial opening of the fire right and so at the roof of a usps which was literally right next to the mcdonald's um Mm -hmm. there was a sniper who was positioned there with his i think they call it like a backup or something right so there was two people two swat team officers up there Mm -hmm. and again they claimed that at 4 40 p.m they still believed this was a robbery gone wrong they also believed that the victims outside of the McDonald's, like the three boys on the bicycles, the two elderly couple, they believed those victims were kind of um, due to Tim shooting at the police officers. They th- they kind of assumed that they were collateral damage, like um, just happened to be in the line of fire, but not necessarily intended victims. That's what the SWAT team Alleges that they felt at the time They had no idea what was actually happening They thought that a lot of people were being held Hostage inside and so He was trying to get a good shot Now Tim had the full advantage He had full advantage because he had pretty much A panoramic view of all the parking lots Um, And it just you know He could see out the windows they couldn't see in the windows He really did have A lot of the full advantage and he would Keep shooting because the police officers they went To try and go help the three little boys And the elderly couple Mm -hmm. and he would just open fire on them and they would have to pull back again and then when it got quiet they would go again to try to evacuate the you know victims to see if they can get some medical attention to make sure that if they have the chance of surviving they can survive Mm -hmm. but then they'd have to pull back because they would be shot at so it was just like this shit show and then all of a sudden a fire truck drove by and this was in range of the mcdonald's restaurant and tim starts shooting at them repeatedly the fire truck it actually slightly wounded one of the occupants inside the fire truck I mean, the
0: fire truck was driving by.
1: Yeah. I don't know if they were driving by in order to like see if they can assist okay. or what was happening, but um, they were just driving by and they were shot at.
0: So he's really aggressive.
1: Yeah, so aggressive. It seemed like any car, any person in the vicinity, he would just shoot at them. And then this was around 5.17 p.m. when a man by the name of Charles Foster, 27-year-old sniper for the SWAT team, Uh he was on the roof of the post office directly opposite of the restaurant. He gained a clear view. So at first, he saw his dangling his legs off um, on the service counter. Like, just imagine that. He's literally killing these people and he hopped onto the service counter and he's dangling his legs off while he's reloading his gun. And then Tim walks over to the service counter toward the back door close to the um, shattered glass of the drive through window, which this was like the first time since 440, allegedly that he had walked near that area, Uh like in clear view of the snipers. And so Charles Foster, he had a clear shot. He fired one single shot about 35 yards away, which entered Tim's chest, severed his aorta just beneath his heart and exited through his spine Uh and it killed him instantly. And he dropped to the ground. So then Charles Foster, he radios everyone, tells everyone that he has killed the suspect. He remains his focus on the motionless suspects. Mm -hmm. And the police were a little bit concerned still. Because at this point, I mean, they had, I would say, 99% confidence that it was only one perpetrator. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have 100%. So about a minute later, the police swarm into the McDonald's. And they said that they were not expecting to see what they saw. Which was just victims everywhere and blood everywhere. So they immediately went over to Tim and they focused their guns on him. They also handcuffed him because they just wanted to be double sure and they wanted to focus on the victims first. And they even asked a wounded girl who was nearby and asked if this male was the only suspect and she nodded. Of course, everyone was really glad it was over, but I don't think the police or the SWAT team had really any idea of the full extent of the lives lost. I wouldn't say that this excuses them. I just think that, honestly, I don't think they had any idea it would be like this. I think they should have an idea, but Mm -hmm. they didn't, right? So there was a lot of trauma on the police officers as well, you know? And so they just, they were really confused, you know? Even all of the news people outside, there were journalists outside, and they were also interviewed for the documentary. And they also believed maybe a couple people were shot, like probably not killed. They didn't know at all what was about to happen. And it was chaos. There was families everywhere. You know, people had come looking for their loved ones because they didn't know what was going on. And the information at this point was confusing. The stream of information was really limited. It was not well communicated. People still didn't know if there was another suspect. So people are out there outside of McDonald's freaking out because their family members are missing, but also at the same time, like, is it over? Like we don't even know if it's over. Like, yeah, it's over right now. But like, what if what if someone comes back? What if someone's still in there? What if suddenly they start start opening fire again like there was just so much now one of the first people to be taken outside like I said was Guadalupe and it like the full extent of the trauma is that she didn't even know that she was shot like it's it's crazy now here's where it gets even crazier all of a sudden this was the moment that the McDonald's alarms decide to start going off which really wouldn't have mattered either way even if the alarms went off when this was taking place because it might have just added more chaos Mm -hmm. so the McDonald's alarms start going off and all of the people that Hiding in the closet Couldn't hear That the police Had come in Because okay. the alarms Are so loud And so they just Kept hiding Thinking that maybe Tim had set off The alarms or something right. And then they heard A noise like Open up And they were like Oh fuck it's like Tim right mm-hmm. And then someone Bust open the closet door And there's just like A million guns Pointing at them And it was like A swarm of police And SWAT members uh, Cause they also Didn't know Maybe there were More perpetrators Hiding sure. And that's when They finally got help but I'm sure that was just trauma on top of trauma. Keith, remember 12-year-old Keith who was shielded by Ronald? And he was there yeah. at the McDonald's with his 11-year-old friend Mateo. Yeah. Keith crawled over to Mateo and... And kept waking him up because Keith, remember how I said he just remembers how he kept falling asleep during this entire process from the bullet wounds, right? Yeah. So he felt like maybe Mateo was sleeping too. So he kept trying to wake up Mateo. He, Keith said it took him probably like weeks to understand that Mateo was murdered, like that he's dead, like he's not at the hospital, like he's not going to just be okay. The crime scene was intense. There was blood everywhere. There was food still on the tables. And... The most shocking sight of all was the eight-month-old infant who had been shot. They were just laying right next to their mom. Like it's, there was also um, the sight of victims who had been killed, and they were either shielding each other or holding on to each other. And that was just a lot. The full damage of this, I don't think we'll ever know because in situations like this, even a, you know, one victim murder, I don't think there's any way to really calculate the full extent because there are death affects all of their loved ones to a certain degree and that affects all of their companions and maybe their work life and anyone that knows them and it's just kind of like this ripple effect right so we mm-hmm. we won't know the full damage but what we do know is that it was 77 minutes tim fired a minimum of 257 rounds of ammunition 21 victims Tim was also killed. So if you look up the massacre online, they consider it 22 victims. I consider it 21 because I don't think Tim is a victim. Um, He wounded 19 others. There was 175 police that were on this case. 17 victims were killed inside the restaurant, 4 outside the restaurant. 10 people inside the restaurant were not killed or wounded. And 6 of them were the ones hiding inside the basement utility room. 15 people got out after the shooter went down. Like, they walked out of there. Like, completely. Yeah. And they were uninjured and unwounded. Yeah. There was a lot of... um, We could tell after that there was a lot of attempts from the victims to try to save each other. Because like I said, a lot of them were with their loved ones and their companions. And so you had a lot of people who tried to stop bleeding on themselves or the people nearby by stuffing their wounds with napkins, and it didn't really work. So out of the 21 deaths, there were 13 gunshot wounds to the head. So the coroner believes that these were 13 people out of the 21 died immediately. Um, seven gunshot wounds to the chest. Again, a lot of people believe that the coroner believes that this—that means they died immediately or within a couple of minutes. So the way that the coroner describes it is that he speculates that there's little chance of survival. So that even if people got help immediately, the max survival time of the type of wounds that they had was about a minute or two. So this has been debated a lot.
0: Wait, wait what? The, can you explain?
1: So the coroner saying, yeah, even if the police had stormed the place. These, the type of bullet wounds that these victims had, mm-hmm. they would have bled out in a minute or two. So it has nothing to do with the fact that it proceeded for 77 minutes. What? So they were just trying to say like,
0: you wouldn't be able to save their lives. Yeah. But what about the trauma? What about the continuous fire? Yeah.
1: So this also is like a hot debate because it's like, okay, and, but also a lot of people don't believe it because people were saying, well, I was there and I saw these people who were groaning and moaning. 30 minutes in and then now you're just saying that they would have died a minute into it because I don't know. So it's been very hotly debated there. There are very two different stories that are constantly being pushed one by the police and one by the survivors. And I believe the survivors. So they say that, you know, that doesn't make any sense. One year old, um, eight month old. Carlos was the only one who had a gunshot wound to the back that had instantly killed him. Um, a lot of other victims had gunshot wounds to their back, but the coroner is just saying this was the fatal wound, mm-hmm. you know. So the other one's probably like, oh, they also had a gunshot wound to the chest or this or that. There was disagreements. Yeah. So law enforcement said that all injured or killed within the restaurant were shot within the first few minutes of Tim entering the restaurant. Survivors hotly dispute this by saying that he both shot wounded and unwounded people for over 40 minutes since his initial of opening fire.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is is something that police... I know you weren't even there. What I know. the hell are that's, you talking that, about? That's what
1: drives me crazy. They're just like, yeah, that's what we believe. And the survivors are like, well, I was there. And they're like, no, they're just too traumatized. And they're like, no, we know exactly what we saw. Like, you're, are you saying, are you victim shaped? Like, are you saying I'm making this shit up? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? It drives me nuts. And so then the victims and survivors said that EMTs could have saved people because for 77 minutes, Tim would go and reshoot people. He reshot people. So who's to say they couldn't have been saved? What? Because the coroner, who technically works with the police, is saying that? Mm -hmm. We don't believe you. Um, Ronald Herrera was very outspoken about this because he was shot like 45 minutes apart from his initial shooting and then his second shooting. He survived, but he was wounded. And that impacted his wounds so much more. Mm -hmm. It impacted his life so much more and his ability to recover so much more. Like, what are you talking about? So at this point mcdonald's decides to spend suspend all of their ads um internationally um they had like tv and radio ads that were already paid for and scheduled to go up the that day and the following day and they suspended everything in an act of solidarity their biggest rival burger king also temporarily suspended all ads of advertising which sounds really like okay cool like this corporate suspended advertising wow right but um I mean, like we've covered so many stories like the Greyhound bus situation on YouTube where a man was cannibalized on a Greyhound bus in front of all of the other passengers and Greyhound won't even pay out a hundred a mere, which I mean, this is a huge corporation, a mere $150,000 to the victim's family. Yeah. Now, in order to ID the victims, the police had to take Polaroid pictures of the victims. They set up a location away from the McDonald's to have families go and identify the victims because there was too much blood. They didn't want the families to go inside the McDonald's, obviously. It would take too much time for them to transport the bodies and then identify them because people were frantic. Like That would take a day or two, and people were too frantic. They needed to know what was going on. They would go up, and they would display a polaroid at a time and th- the police were in tears too because they said every time you pull up a polaroid you look into the crowd and you can literally see people's faces change because they know that person and you know exactly who is able to identify them they had to hold up polaroids of young kids of pregnant women and it just was bad uh, the community everyone was just crying together the funerals were really intense So at this point, Tina, um, Tim's wife and the kids were receiving death threats, which forced them to actually move away and live with a family friend for quite a couple of months. They all, the whole family attended counseling for over nine months. There's going to be a lot of controversy with this. We're going to get back to it. A lot of the victims, um, there was a local funeral home. A lot of the funeral homes had to use the San Ysidro Civic Center to hold wakes for each victim. The Mount Carmel Church, which was one of the most popular churches in the area, they had to have back to back funeral masses in order so that each of the dead could be buried in a timely manner. And so there was so much trauma on the people at this church too. I'm I'm not trying to compare the trauma to the survivors or the families impacted, but imagine just nonstop. You're literally seeing the grief of the community nonstop. Now, the San Diego Police Department was facing a lot of issues, okay? So the actual officers that were involved, a lot of them, um, they suffered from PTSD, sleep withdrawal, loss of memory, guilt. Those are all very severe symptoms of uh, PTSD. They also had to start assessing the tactical methods, which how they responded, because like, what the fork are you doing? Right. Mm -hmm. So at this point, the San Diego Department increased training for special units. They also purchased way more powerful firearms, because when you are going up against semi-automatic rifles and stuff like you can't go in with a cute little 38 caliber is what they were saying they a lot of police officers reported that they felt angry with the weapon that they had because Mm -hmm. they knew that they were outgunned and what that means is it has nothing to do with skill it has nothing to do with personality or who you are as a human it's like being out carred like how are you going to chase down a lamborghini in a prius you know Mm -hmm. it's just going to be a lot faster it's just going to get away from you there are new methods on how to swarm areas There's new people were taking home cars now. So like SWAT teams had take-home cars so that they were on call nonstop. Prior to this, a lot of SWAT team members in the area didn't have take-home cars. So they would report to the station, then they would go because they needed a certain vehicle to go and certain weapons to go. They were always on call. The San Diego Police Department also purchased a fleet of helicopters to help with these types of situations. And all of this was because why 77 minutes? That was what everyone's question was, the victim the survivors the families of the victims and the survivors and just the general population of the whole fucking world that was watching was like why 77 minutes that doesn't make any sense there was allegedly an internal inquiry i hate police departments who have internal in- inquiries which is every police department because an internal inquiry really what that,
0: what does that, that mean? means
1: you're investigating your own self like really you think that we don't know how incentives work for that <laughs> So they investigated their own goddamn selves and they said, you know, although the arrival of the SWAT team members were delayed in rush hour traffic, we believe that the police department acted timely in their response. Fucking thanks. They said that they couldn't storm the place because of the windows and all the other things that I said. And they said that the um, like the whole not getting the official green light thingy didn't prevent any deaths from being because technically you can still... So, they also said that they believe that the operation was handled the way it should have been handled. Now, the San Diego Police Department also mentioned a couple other facts of why they were so slow. They said that this was a very tricky situation because they were right at the border. So there's different protocols when you're right on a border town because suspects can try to flee. You have to alert like border c- border control. Like it's just a lot. They said. They said it was rush hour traffic at a busy intersection. They said that the timing of the sun and the spider webbing of the windows caused visibility issues. They said that there were victims inside and all around the perimeter, which caused further issues. And they also said that they couldn't rush it because so many people were inside so they couldn't storm they couldn't stampede they couldn't throw in tear gas because that could cause more chaos for survivors or victims That's what they said. Now, there were a couple of very clear mistakes. I mean, you could technically say all of these are still mistakes, but some of the very clear ones that really aren't arguable is that the SWAT commander, his Bieber wasn't working, so he got the alert 30 minutes later. So his SWAT teams were headed to the location, but the SWAT commander had no idea this was even happening until like 4.30 p.m. Now, he claims that doesn't mean anything because there's a system in place for when the SWAT commander is unavailable that a new commander takes place or something like that. Like, he was just saying this had no impact on it, but a lot of people were like what the fuck do you mean your beeper wasn't working like what are you talking about and while he was on his way there he actually took away the green light he like called and he rescinded the green light and again if the sniper saw a threat to the police or themselves or a civilian they can shoot so he's saying technically that don't mean shit that I rescinded the green light and technically by the books I did exactly what I was supposed to do this man actually went on to become the mayor of San Diego for two terms I believe so um some people had some anger about that of like you were the SWAT commander of a massacre and your beeper wasn't fucking working and now you're just gonna be a mayor but he was elected so I don't know I don't know anything about this man but he did say that absolutely nothing affected that and he believes they did the best that they could he says that he doesn't like to say that because they lost lives but he doesn't know like in hindsight he's saying everything's better in hindsight of course now i'd be like no this is exactly what i would do but at that time with the information that we had this is the best that we did is what he's trying to say And for some reason, apparently at one point, the SWAT team and the police thought there were three perpetrators. I don't know why. So and then it went back to like just having one suspect. I mean, it was really weird. So then now people also had the question of what was the motive of Tim? Was it a racial motive? Um, None of this makes sense. There was a lot of reports how Tim didn't like the fact that he was the only, and I quote, American in the apartment complex when he moved to San Ysidro. Even though there was a lot of Americans there because lots of people had citizenship in that apartment. But he's like, no, I'm the only American. And so he just didn't like that. Now, the police would come out and say he didn't like anyone. But Tina, his wife, would come out and say that he was very anti-immigrant, especially against Mexicans. So was that the motive? Um, the more popular theory of the motive is, though, the revenge. He had this huge revenge plot for being fired from his security position. He also had this revenge plot of like how he went from making $140,000 a year to like slowly just losing everything, moving to Mexico, then moving to San Ysidro. And he always felt like the world did him dirty. He also felt like he was settling the debt with society. Because remember how I said settling the debt is so important Mm -hmm. to him? And when he had mentioned to his wife Tina, society had its chance. Because the mental health clinic didn't call him back in time. And to people like him, these things could really set things into motion. He is not a normal person. Yeah. The McDonald's planned to reopen after this. Um, they thought that that was best for the community because they just didn't know what else to do. So they had actually started fixing up the restaurant and then McDonald's corporate had a meeting with community leaders and the community said, we don't really think that's a good idea. So they said that they're not going to open. They demolished the McDonald's and they donated the ground to the city with the only one rule is that no restaurant could ever be on that site, which makes sense. You know, yeah. imagine the city is like, hey, Burger King, you want to buy this land, you know? Yeah. So um, they said, okay, no restaurant can be on the site. So they also started talking about maybe there could be a memorial, maybe we could do a shrine, like something of that sort. Later, the land was ended, um, ended up being sold to the Southwestern College and they agreed in the sale of the land that there would be a 300-square-foot area in front of the campus extension that would be set aside to construct a permanent memorial to the 21 victims. And the memorial was actually designed by a student, at the Southwestern College. It was 21 hexagons and they were all like different. So it's a tall memorial and they were all different shapes and lengths and heights to, you know, indicate like their age and stuff like wow. that. And they were all connected though. So they said that the meaning of this is they were bonded together and they hope that the community in a tragedy like this will stick together just like they did. And every anniversary, it is decorated with flowers. But also because there are a lot of Mexicans in this area. And each, so Day of the Dead is three days, I believe, that people of Mexican heritage observe and they also bring candles and offerings now there were lawsuits against mcdonald's so uh, several family members of those who were killed and with a mixture of survivors, they filed a lawsuit against McDonald's. But July 25th, of 1987, the judge said that McDonald's or any other business has no duty of care to protect patrons from an unforeseeable assault by a murderous madman. So what they were saying is that the implemented security measures inside of this McDonald's that are or any restaurant that are typically used, so whether you go to Walmart or Target or any restaurant, typically you see maybe a guard And then CCTV, right? Mm -hmm. But the judge is saying neither of these things could have possibly deterred the shooter because he didn't care about his own survival. He didn't care about getting caught. He didn't care about like going to jail or living even. Mm -hmm. So none of that would have made him come into the McDonald's and be like, ah, I shouldn't do this here.
0: Yeah, okay. Makes sense.
1: And so then they were also suing the San Diego Police Department. There were multiple lawsuits against the SDPD and they were exonerated of any culpability or negligence. The judge said, in view of the sheer horror of the ordeal, it is difficult to imagine anything the police could have done or failed to do which could have made the risk any greater than that to which the victims were exposed before the police arrived. Hmm. So both... And all final lawsuits were dismissed in 1991. Now, Tina sucks. Tina went on to her first, like, I wouldn't say interview, but she had called a news station to give her side of the story. Mm -hmm. And it seems like she does have a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. But she also said that the slaughter maybe could have been prevented if her husband had received the psychiatric help that he sought. And a lot of people To that they said Why didn't you Fucking get him help then Why didn't you Call the cops When he said I'm gonna go hunt for humans Bye bitch
0: Like Like, you are not the You're not in place To
1: Say Oh I think this is how Society could have done better Or like we as a whole Could have done better Like people were just Kind of like Okay Like people had sympathy For the fact that She probably did not Have a good life with Tim Like people knew That she was probably abused There was no way That he was a saint at home And then did this On his free time right But it was just the fact like, maybe if it's not your place, don't say anything type of reasoning. And she also said a psychologist or a counselor could have gotten him to a medical doctor or a psychiatrist and they could have given him medication. A lot of people had a lot of things to say about that as well. And then she went on to sue people so then it gets worse so Tina sued her husband's ex-employer who um, this was not the security guard position but uh, a welding position at Babcock and Wilcox so he had worked there for I think like almost close to eight years and he was a welder so he worked with like a lot of toxins and stuff and it was a civil lawsuit against the former employer but also McDonald's she was seeking five million dollars in damages why? she claims that her husband's murder spree was triggered due to the combination of a poor Diet And her husband working around highly poisonous metals without adequate protection over the course of many years. So she says at work, he would have high levels of lead and cadmium found that were also found in his autopsy, right? When he died. And that was why it made him crazy. Exposure to the fumes of welding for 13 years, you know, without any sufficient respiratory protection made him crazy. They also said that ingesting high levels of sodium from the McDonald's that he always ate made him crazy. Um, When I say made him crazy, I'm not using it colloquially. Like she literally said that it caused him to have delusions and uncontrollable rage. But also people were like, then make a salad and eat at home. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Nobody made him eat there. Nobody made, you know, mm-hmm. with the work thing, it's a little different, you know, but then mm-hmm. like everyone with the McDonald's thing, were like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, that's so confusing. Mm-hmm. And of course the lawsuit was dismissed and Tina ended up dying in 2003 from breast cancer. So there was a survivor fund that was set up for the survivors of the massacre. And the total of the fund was summed up to be $1.4 million. $1 million came from McDonald's corporate. They had donated $1 million to the fund. And the widow of the founder of McDonald's personally contributed $100,000 to help with burial costs, financial aid for the relatives of the dise- deceased, and counseling for the survivors. Here's where it gets crazy. Tina received the first payout from the fund. What? There was a lot of um, protest from donors and residents, but technically they were considered victims because they were not the perpetrator. And now their lives are completely changed as well from this. So you have some people who are like, yes, they are victims, too. And then you have another group of people that are like, what the fork? So, I mean, I don't know. I think at this point in my life, I am not mature enough to fully sit here and say, you know, I think she is a victim. I mean, there are so many stories where I'm like the serial killer's family is a victim, you know. But I think because there were, you know, those definitive moments where I feel like she really could have maybe called the police. But then again, I've never been in a situation of being scared of someone in my own home. And then, you know, like someone I'm married to. So I I really can't say, but... Maybe don't give her the first payout. Maybe give her like the second. I don't know. Yeah, it just was really controversial. It led to a protest in San Ysidro. Yeah. Because I'm sure crazy. the community was hurt. Now, do you remember Albert Leos, the the 17-year-old who was shot and he crawled his way to the mm-hmm. closet and bit down on that piece of yes. cloth? He said that his life was so ruined for a while because he just had all of this guilt And he couldn't save anyone, he couldn't help anyone, especially the babies. And he said the only thing that he could do was join the police department. He felt like that was the only thing that could kind of ease him of that guilt. But even when he became a police officer, he just had guilt. He was miserable. And then one day he was driving down like a really quiet road. Two in the morning, there was a burning car on the side of the street. So he walked over to it and he thought that nobody was inside. Maybe it was like a burglary. Maybe it was someone just like vandalizing a car. Mm -hmm. And he realized that there was a body inside. So he cracked open the window and he pulled the passenger out of the car. Mm -hmm. It was a man who had worked an 18-hour shift recently and the car flipped over when he fell asleep and it lit on fire And he yanked him out and he realized he just saved a life He didn't freeze like he felt like he did during the shootings and Mm. he felt like he finally could do something so He is I believe to this day still a police officer And in the documentary he was asked if all of the victims were in one room right now What would you say to them? And he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't help, which is so crazy because he is a victim and he makes it seem like, yeah. So he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't help. The first responding police officer was also asked the same question. And he like you could tell he's just so emotional. He couldn't say anything. And I think like the documentary kind of makes You know, I think overall, the police department and the SWAT commander and the SWAT teams could have done better. Mm -hmm. But when you were talking about that one individual officer that just like responded to the scene, like I think he genuinely like he didn't have the authority to change things. He just did his best. So but I think he carries a lot of guilt. It's just my opinion. Now, one of the other victims, she was an employee. She died. Her name is Paulina and her sister was interviewed. And she was, oh God, this part was so emotional, guys. She told her to go to work that day. So Paulina wanted to call off because she had a little bit of a headache. And this was like Paulina's first job. And so Paulina's sister was like, no, you got to go to work. Like, that's the responsible thing to do. You can't call off. Like, it's not a good look. It's not professional. And she went to work. And they asked her, if you could say anything to your sister, what would it be? And she asked for forgiveness. And she says, because she told her to go to work that day and now she says it's like completely changed her life because now when her kid or her friend says they don't want to do something she just doesn't ever pressure people anymore even if she thinks like no you should go to school she just feels like she can't that is kind of the story of what happened at McDonald's in San Ysidro this one was intense I had so many distraught emotions for this one for like days. I feel drained. <laughs> I usually don't cover mass murders for that reason and it's just a lot. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this and Do you think that there could have been a lot that the police could have done differently? I think if I'm mistaken, I don't know the exact figure, but I think at the time, yearly SWAT deployments, meaning that SWAT teams were sent out to specific locations Mm -hmm. on a yearly basis was like a couple hundred. And now it's like a crazy amount. Let me look up the exact figure because it's kind of even... um, Towns with less than a 5,000 population have SWAT teams. And it says as of 2005, SWAT teams were deployed 50,000 times every year mm. in the U.S. And probably a lot more in 10, like what, 15 years later?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's probably really intense now. But I think back then it was like not a lot at all. So it seems like definitely there's a lot more going on. And now I think they do swarm. Like they will go into places now with active shootings i don't really have a moral of the story there's no moral there's no there's just tears so i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and again i really really am sorry about getting the wrong information on alan turing and i hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast and i'll see you next week bye